0: Before we get started with today's episode, we have some exciting news to share. We are going to be launching into season two very soon here. Very soon. And in season two, we're going to be opening up the conversation to you. We're asking you to send your problems to us and we will then help you solve them. We think there's a lot of
1: opportunity in seeing how we can help you take your venture, whatever stage you're at, whatever challenges you're having, whatever opportunities are in front of you to the next level.
0: Send us questions, problems that you're dealing with in your business and your entrepreneurial journey. You're trying to figure it out. Let us know. Email us, zero to IPO
1: at octa.com. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O-I-P-O
0: at okta.com and now let's get on with the show.
2: You know I mean literally I could not find one person that said they enjoyed going public or being a public company CEO. So I figured I would have to construct my own reality if I were going to like have any optimism around the process.
3: Honestly, the, the biggest feeling I had was just a sense of relief.
4: Overall, it was, it was just a surreal day with an exceptional outcome, and it's, uh, it's been surreal ever since.
1: Welcome to Zero to IPO, a podcast about what it takes to go from a great idea you had in the shower all the way to a thriving company listed
0: on NYSE or NASDAQ. I'm Frederick Karras, co-founder of Okta. And I'm Joshua Davis, the co-founder of Epic and a contributing editor at Wired. This is it, Josh. We finally made it, man. Woo! All the way to the end. The IPO. We started out at zero. Now we're at IPO. We're there. We've arrived. The big moment. So today's episode is devoted entirely to this milestone in a company's life. The moment that it has its initial public offering.
1: Last 10 episodes, we've gone from the very beginning. The idea, it's in your garage You're starting to build a team. Things are going great. Things are going south. You need to raise more money. Who are all these people building the culture, keeping it going? Here we are, IPO. It's exciting. And I think we have an outstanding roster to
0: talk with us about this today. We're going to hear from Josh James of Domo, Fred Luddy of ServiceNow, Julia Hartz of Eventbrite, Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz, and a bunch of other stuff, and Anil Bushri of Workday. But, Freddie, before we go to our first interview I just want to ask a couple questions of you because you've been through this. Yes. You've, you've gone through an IPO. Actually, I've gone through a couple. I
1: went through the Salesforce.com IPO, but I was obviously much younger in my career. I wasn't a member of the executive team. I didn't get to go to New York for the opening of the bell. So you didn't know shit. Yeah, I didn't know anything.
0: I just really enjoyed the party. <laughs> it was a good party. <laughs> it was a great party. That's what you need to know about the IPO. That was in 2004, by the way. <laughs> that was a while back. All the clock back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And in addition to the party that you throw, yep. which is an important topic. Yep. We, you know, we don't want to skip over we that. We threw ours at at t Ballpark. Well, that's, that's, a pretty pretty big play. that's a pretty big venue. Yeah, that's a pretty totally. big venue. Were the Giants there? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to our first guest. Josh James of Domo has actually done this twice. He's taken two companies public. And so if you want a master class in what it's really like to get to that first IPO, look no further.
1: When you took Omniture public, you were the youngest CEO of a NASDAQ or NYSE trade company. Correct. What was that like? Like, uh, do you feel people underestimated you because of your age?
5: Yeah, they definitely underestimated me. It was fun to see Zuck finally. And, uh, you know, I first met him and I said, hey, uh, don't go public. Because everyone was harassing him at the time. This is a Davos. Hey, don't go public. He looks at me. He's like, What? if you do, I'm not going to be the youngest anymore. That's how I met him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I'd never run a public company. My CFO would never run a public company. Um, the biggest challenge though, honestly, was Benioff was public and they had all of their data came from humans entering it. We had software as a service. So they're like, Oh, so you're like Salesforce. We're like, no, we have all these servers and we have all this data coming in. And every time we signed a hundred thousand dollar contract, we immediately would go and spend Thirty thousand dollars on servers because AWS didn't exist. We spent thirty thousand dollars on servers. We haven't collected one month's pay, and so you know we're negative cash flow. The faster we grow, the more negative cash flow we are in buying servers. And
1: people did not understand that. One of the challenges that you might have faced was you were just too early. Just they needed to be educated by a hundred more companies in front of you. Yeah, and if you were the hundred first. They would have said, oh, yeah, this makes tons of sense. Yeah,
5: so you're welcome to all the other SaaS companies benefit (laughs) benefits.
1: It seems like it worked out okay for you.
5: It worked out okay. I can't complain. Yeah, I can't complain. Uh, Why go public? I actually like being a public company. All the time you talk to people and they're like, oh, it's horrible being public. You don't want to go public. Like The most... I guess free, first of all, you have capital. So if you want to buy something, you can buy it, which is interesting because that's another competitive weapon that you have. Uh, Secondly, you know, it's easier to recruit employees, but the thing that uh, I hate about it is you can't talk as much. You got to be careful about what you say. And that was the only thing that caused me consternation. And then I found out if you slip up, as long as you issue a press release within like 24 or 48 hours, everything's cool. That's, <laughs> I was that, that's like, your- this <laughs> is the most freeing thing I've ever
1: learned. I can just <laughs> issue a press release. Wonderful. What about the value? I find that there's a lot of value in being public uh, just in customer marketing because customers now, you know, they don't have to ask you how much cash you have and then you kind of have to give them an answer, but you can't really. So you put your CFO on the phone and then he dances around it. It's like, well, they're audited. It's like Ernst & Young audited. Go check it out.
0: We just filed the 10Q. Why do customers care how much cash you have?
1: Uh, I think you know, especially
5: after two thousand, two thousand one. I mean, it was a big issue. People were getting taken code, source code, is
1: when you were selling contracts, and now they can look and see. And there's definitely so a that if you go bankrupt, they're not running their business on a piece of software that is no longer supported.
0: Right now that you're public, is this a specific issue to SaaS companies or all companies? I think it's enter- helpful for enter- people. Enterprise to be able companies, to see. especially, they just
5: and when when you're public. It's not even that they're going through the financials. You're just public and everyone knows that.
0: gives that, them a sense
1: of yeah, It's an security. extra sense of scrutiny that the company's been through, for sure. What about international marketing? So probably in North America, people know the name Domo. You know, okay, you're, uh, you're an experienced, seasoned, successful entrepreneur. They might know the name Domo abroad as well. But the day went public. Did that help you with international marketing?
5: Uh, not necessarily. No. Um, Good question. It helped us with it, it, the only place that helped, it helped us with the multinationals. It okay. definitely helped us with those. There's some domestically based, but you no, know, some multinationals where we'd have maybe a domestic, um, it, we started domestically, yeah. but it was based in Germany. Then that, that it definitely helped in those situations. So I guess I should have said
0: not really. But to Freddie's question, it, it wasn't like you got pickup coverage all over the world and suddenly you have calls coming in from France and calls coming in from well, Brazil.
5: No, if you saw the associated with our IPO, but it was pretty negative. So it was more of a burden than it was helpful.
0: (laughs) Why don't you tell us about that? (laughs) Not to make you relive difficult days. I thought all press is good press. Oh
5: yeah. All (laughs) press is definitely, I thought so as well, but no. Um, But I mean, I think Definitely what, what happened. The press has definitely figured out when you file, you're in the quiet period and they can write whatever the heck they want to write. So they write it as salaciously as they possibly can. It's definitely clickbait. It's untrue for the most part. It's exaggeration. It's out of context. It's horrible. And um, you it's can't misleading say anything. and you can't say a damn thing. It's extremely frustrating. But you know, it's motivation. It actually pissed off everybody in my company. So my employees were like, it's us against the world you know, which I was like, okay, that's good. I'm glad they're in the boat with me. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it was, you How know, we had, was
0: it in the lead up?
5: I mean, we had things like, you know, all these related party, we weren't planning on going public that soon. And so we didn't have time to get rid of some of the related party transactions just cause it's cleaner and you want it to be cleaner. Um, you don't want to answer questions. And like, for instance, my brother owns a restaurant, we serve people lunch and, we would come in. Um, it was the number one rated food item of all the lunches that we brought in. And so we'd bring them in. They were giving us food. They were giving us food, most favorite nation's pricing, basically at cost. But I got to list it and disclose it as a, 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 a related party transaction. And that's what most of the articles are about. About He's enriching brother. his brother yeah. through Domo. It just right. sucked because it's just completely unrelated to the business and has nothing to it's do with it. But, that's but that, all became, it's the that that's became the story. That became the story. Yeah, yeah, that's the story. Yeah,
0: Talk to us about the day of going public. Yeah. I've done it twice now. Yeah. Take us through the first day. It sounds like the first go around was perhaps a little more challenging. The second you, time, you know, it's coming.
5: Yeah. yeah. You know, that's, 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 uh, for me, neither of my IPOs were tremendously successful. I mean, one was 105% subscribed. The other one was, you know, very negative in terms of the press around it. And, you know, it was a hustle. I mean, we were, we were, had a really hard time finding investors that would listen long enough to feel like they, you know, they totally got it. So it wasn't like uh, either time were these great, wonderful days. Thankfully, the second time at least went up the first day. Um, On the first one with Omniture, went down the first time? No, it didn't, but it like stayed right at 650 and just stayed there. And you but know, I didn't move. It, and I mean, we were priced an, below the
0: range. And, you know, from an outside perspective, you just IPO'd. Yeah. You just generated. A ton You know what's really cool? I went to Sun Valley afterwards.
5: Yeah. After the first one. After the second one. And I was kind of embarrassed because, you know, my employees were not, we didn't meet their expectations. I mean, uh, the last private round we did was over $2 billion and our market cap is, you know, around half a billion dollars. So clearly we have a lot of work to do. And so i was a little embarrassed by it. But I go to Sun Valley and there's all these CEOs and every single one was like, good on you. That was awesome, and it made me feel really good. I was like, yeah, what the hell that was freaking hard. We did it. We saw a lot of work to do, but we should be able to celebrate this moment, and sometimes I'm not good at it. I just focus on you know the one percent that's not working, and that's all I think about and but yeah, it was it, it was cool to do it. I think the the thing that I like the most about the day of are bringing I fill the room you know, I bring as many employees as I can and I let them bring their uh, spouses for you know or significant others and, and
0: so the, the day of you know the bell rings. You're live on NASDAQ. Yeah. And are you immediately like, okay, let's get back to Salt Lake and let's get going? Or do you, <laughs> is there a moment of euphoria just for a second? No, no, not, not for me. No, it was, let's go. You're we bumming gotta, out a lot of our listeners, right? Yeah, now. I
5: mean, it's just kind of, is what it is. It's, it's, I guess I'm happy when, when my company's cash flow positive growing the way I want it to grow and the market under I'm getting the value for that that's that's a great that's a great feeling
0: freddie i like the honesty i like josh's honesty he says neither of my ipos were tremendously successful Yeah, <laughs> but he did it yeah he did it i mean listen he made it across the finish line and it gave him a lot of tools i guess that's one of the things that's most interesting to me is the tool set you get when you go public. Uh, I think you're talking about the value you get out of being public. Correct. I mean, yeah. he talks about the fact that you have capital to buy something. You uh, are. It's easier to recruit people. I don't know that it's easier to recruit
1: people. You're trying to recruit a different kind of person now. A different kind of person wants to join a 100- or 200-person company than wants to join a post-IPO company. They have a different risk profile. They have a different plan. There's different things they like to do. Um, and frankly, I think, you know, it, it's obviously always hard to recruit because you're always trying to hire the best people in the world at any stage.
0: Fred Luddy is the founder of ServiceNow and has been through the ringer. Here's Fred Luddy.
4: Who went public just before us? Facebook. What happened to Facebook when they went public? It didn't go very well. No. no. And who who on this planet would say God damn it! Why didn't I buy those shares at twenty three when it fucking fell down to nothing? You know they called it faceplant, right? It was horrible, and and uh, and nonetheless, we pressed ahead with our roadshow, and uh, short
0: lived. Was everybody on the roadshow? Were they were they asking you about Facebook? Who went on
4: the roadshow? It was you, myself. Frank. Three three people: uh, Mike Scarpelli, CFO; yeah. Frank, CEO, and me. Um, I drank a lot of Starbucks coffee and answered an occasional question, but uh, you know, Frank was was very good on the roadshow. He'd done this before. Mike was very good on the roadshow. He'd done this before. Um, it, was a, it was a questionable time to go out.
0: In this situation, you're on the road. You're trying to convince people that this is a good idea. Yes. Face plan, <laughs> Facebook has just face planted. Correct. And everybody's saying your market's small. Small. So it's not looking good.
4: No. Why do you think you... So the evaluation that we wanted to go out at was, was north of $2 billion dollars. And um, they're saying, "Well, why why would you be worth two billion dollars when your total addressable market's only worth one six? So we had to try yeah. to convince these analysts. Well, that's 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 a you're looking in the rearview mirror at the mainframe marketplace. What we see is a market that's far more significant and far, and far more you know open minded than mainframe people of the 1990s. Where did you end up pricing it? Uh, we came out at two two point three. Okay so, um, and
0: how did it go when 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 you went live on the new york stock exchange
4: uh that was the most surreal moment of my life um so what happens is they, they they you get to the New York stock exchange, right storied they bring you into one hall this is the hall where they used to park the horse and buggies right then the next it's now a trading floor, then you go to the next trading floor they walk you around saying here's here's the here's the booth where you're going." Your stock is going to open.
0: Then they take you and when you say booth, what does that mean?
4: Well, if you watch CNBC, you have these like they're like kiosks, right? And so we're we're going to go out in one of the kiosks. So one of the kiosks has a market maker, and the kiosks are those kind of like they're more like
0: uh, towers, right? They're like towers on the floor.
4: Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Or, or um, what do they what do they call them at a at a mall? You know, it's just like yeah, a, it's yeah. Like, I
0: see what you mean. Yeah, like a kiosk. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah.
4: It's a kiosk at a so mall. So they
0: take you to that kind of tower kiosk yes. thing. You're standing there.
4: And that's where the market maker is, right? That's the person who's deciding if there's enough buy, sell, and then they release. But then they take you to a-, a
0: But this is early in the morning, right? The market has Very hasn't early, early yet. in the morning. So you, so you have to wake up early. What time do you have to wake up?
4: Uh, I, didn't, I didn't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> My wife and I went out to, biz, to dinner. Yeah, uh, and we late came, dinner. Late dinner. We came back and I turned on CNBC and the futures markets were up 275 points. And I thought- For service oh. now?
0: No. Oh, no, no. You mean for futures in general?
4: Futures in general in the market, right? And you, and you look at, because you want to go, you know. You want to go out on a big day. You want to go out on a rising on tide a, day, You don't want right? to go on a down market day. No. and So that's looking good. Well, but all the prior days had been down, right? So we're selling into this, you know. Down market. Huge down market storm and frank like we're not going to sit in our foxholes we're going to go out we're going to be a public company and the stock's going to go up you know according to how we perform it's that simple he's and
0: taking a long view
4: he's taking a long view he's not it's not a one day deal right and so he you know he he was absolutely right it didn't make any difference really what we went public at the fact is we'd now become a public comp- company and by the way there's there's significant advantages to being a public company versus private and there's significant uh, negatives as well um but anyway so let's go back to the, the IPO because this is fun. So after they show us the kiosk and the market maker, they take us up to a, uh, this gorgeous, gorgeous room where you and 30 of your best friends have breakfast. Now, New York Stock Exchange was a big customer of ours. And 10 of, 10 of their guys had flown themselves from, from Chicago to New York to have breakfast with us on their own nickel. Like your customer flies to make sure we're going to be there to support you. We're going to help you out. You know, we're going to be there rah, rah, because we can get in the exchange and, you know, we can you know, we can, we just want to be there with you. Cause you know, we've been with you all these, these yeah. other years, like let's do this together. And I was really, you know, Ben Nutten was the guy that, that, that headed that. And I was really appreciative of that. We got, you know, you ring the bell. They show you the exact button to push by the way that button. So you're not actually like hitting a bell. You press a button. Yeah. You press a button and that button works the same way as the uh, door closed button on the, on the elevators. There's no wires. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> no, you go you, straight. You're not doing anything. Oh, there's nothing to it. No. (laughs) It's just it's just like a a figure.
4: You press this, right? And then well, Bill's gonna ring that anyway, whether or not you press it, but you feel good about pressing it. Who pressed it? Frank Sloopman. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was standing next to Frank and it was really, you know, it was it was very it was very exciting. But then you go down to the floor and you go to the market maker. And that's when it's fun because we had sold the shares the night before for $18, right? The way that it works is you you pre-sell the shares to other people that want them. And then what happens is the market starts getting made. And so, yeah, you, you, you have a bid ask, right? And you have a certain amount of volume and they're yelling. It's just like an old-fashioned hog auction, right? They're yelling back and forth. And then finally, okay, we got a quarter million, quarter million trade. We got a quarter million trade trading at at twenty three dollars. No, we have a half a million that's going to trade at at twenty three dollars. So people had bought at eighteen. We're now going to sell at twenty three, and people are going to buy in at twenty three, right? So that at that point, they said the market is made. The whole thing went off, and bam! At twenty three. At, at twenty three, and we only we went up like thirty forty percent that day. Oftentimes, stocks are excited about oh we grew hundred percent. You just got screwed by the banks out of 50% of your money. It, because you sold at 18. We sold it, because you sell the night before, right? right? You're so, done. Yeah, so if you sold at 50 and it goes to 100, you just got screwed out of 50, right? So you want you want to have a healthy uptick? But not but, too much. But, you know, oh, we had 100% uptick. Oh man, those bankers, <laughs> <laughs> they got you, they got you good. But it was a very surreal day. And I would say that, you know, the very very positive thing about becoming public Versus private is when you're selling to the enterprise. There's all these corporate viability questions. Will you be here next week? What are your financials? What are you doing here and there? And all of a sudden, you're on par with them. You're a publicly traded company and you have public financials, and so they can they can they can assess your viability without you having to have these special calls. They're audited by Ernst and Young. You can say go go pull my 10Q. Yeah, exactly. And so you know the SEC documents. The downside is that you know you have to behave differently as a publicly traded company, and there's a lot of governance that, that goes into that and a lot of cost for the governance but uh, overall I, it was it was just a surreal day with an exceptional outcome and it's uh, it's been surreal ever since
0: You hit the IPO, and for most of us, we think that's the end of the road uh, Fred points out that his experience was quite different because they were selling into a down market. And it was just a tactical decision that gave them an increased tool set to continue to build the business. That's what it was for him. It wasn't this kind of Valhalla-like, end-of-the-road experience.
1: Well, I think it's just a mature approach. The mature approach is you're playing the long game. So it's like, what does it matter what happens this month, next month, the next month in the stock market... If you're going to create an awesome business and it's going to be a good business and it's going to grow and it's going to create a lot of value for your customers and shareholder value for your shareholders, it doesn't matter what month you go public if you can have that approach. You know, Fred had been through some of that and I'm sure that some of that colored it and he talks about it. He's like, you know, that's why I was more comfortable doing it.
0: Maturity, huh? That's what you're saying. You got, you got, you got to behave like an adult.
1: Yeah. The number one thing
0: about going
1: public, my number one recommendation is make sure you have predictability in the business. Now in our business, enterprise IT, enterprise software as a service, we have good predictability, we understand what's gonna happen, we have a subscription base that we can build on, we know kind of what new customer uh, attraction hopefully is gonna look like, and so we have an idea of what's gonna happen, it has helped us without a doubt. Like That's the number one most important thing. If you do not have predictability, And you don't know what's going to happen next quarter, the quarter after, if it's super lumpy sales. Take a step back and think long and hard because you're going to have to give guidance to Wall Street. And that is how they're going to value your company going forward.
0: Well, our next guest is going to talk about this idea that the IPO doesn't just give you a new tool set. It also helps you further define who you are. Julia Hartz, the co-founder of Eventbrite, talked to us about how the IPO helped her and her co-founders better define the company's mission. Here's Julia.
2: I went with our CFO, Randy Bufumo, who spent 15 years on the buy side at Lake Mason. So it was like old home week for him um, because, you know, many hey, of the nice investors Hey, nice to see you know again. How are you? Yeah. yeah. So that was wonderful. We are very different, um, and so it was great to to have you know them see sort of how we work together, and uh, and Kevin joined us at the very end, which was a wonderful way to to you know to ring the bell on the New York Stock Exchange and celebrate that that moment.
0: What are your memories of that day?
2: Uh, wow. Well, at first I felt like it was our wedding all over again, you know, except with Renault. So it was like, it was like, a, it, was like it was kind of funny. Um, our family was there. We had uh, some of our earliest brightlings there. We had our creators on the floor with us. And I was very proud. And I'll tell you why. We set out when we decided to go public, we set out with three core objectives. Obviously, throughout the years, we'd been told this is a pain. It's tedious, it's expensive. You'll hate it. You know, I mean, literally, I could not find one person that said they enjoyed going public or being a public company CEO. So I figured I would have to construct my own reality if I were going to, like have any optimism around the process. So, what I knew was that it was going to be a very expensive and time-consuming time fundraise. If you think about private fundraising in the era that we've been fundraising, so I want to point out, you know, in the good days, it's like eloping or dating. If you think about going public and that public fundraise, it's like my big fat Greek wedding. All of a sudden, 17 people have an opinion on the cake and you have, you know, multiple pieces of stationery you're choosing from. And it's just, it's it's a lot. And so, Our first core objective was to extract as much value out of the process of going public as the time and energy and money we were going to put into it. And for us, that was about using the drafting of the S-1 as a time to really put Pen to paper and appreciate the fact that we were codifying our strategy. We were really defining this mid-market for the first time for the world. That for us was incredibly valuable because it helped us focus on what is most important, how we got here, and setting the roadmap for where we're going in the future. The second was that we were, we would, the second objective for us was to be able to tell the story of Eventbrite through the journey of the event creator. And why that was so important was because, you know, the experience economy is at its all-time high. We tend to think about live events as being the Taylor Swift concerts in Madison Square Garden. We're focused on a very, very different population of creators and inventory of events. So we wanted to tell the stories that really illuminated who they are. They're entrepreneurs in nature. There's a guy, Chad Collins, who... Brought a set of Legos home for his daughter um, because he wanted her to be an engineer like he was. And they started making YouTube videos, making all these really cool Lego creations. And they amassed like 12 million followers. My son the year. watches them. Yes. Yeah. And she had a great idea one day. She was like, daddy, wouldn't it be fun to get together with all these people in real life? And he's like, yeah. So an idea was born. BrickFest Live, which is a Lego enthusiast meetup. They sold 23 tickets in their fir- 23,000 tickets, rather. That'd be disappointing if it was 23. 23,000 tickets in their first weekend in in Philadelphia. He had no idea what he was doing. He he searched event ticketing, came across Eventbrite, signed up, and off to the races, right? So all of a sudden he has this great idea. So what does he do? You'd think that maybe he'd just do it again the next year. No, he, he then rolled out the Mine Fair for Minecraft enthusiasts, Innovators Festival—you know, 31 events in 15 cities over the course of of five years, and seeing you, over a quarter of a million people. I mean, this is this is emblematic of the typical event creator on Eventbrite,
0: and you can't do that on Ticketmaster. Or, you know, none of these things that people think of already.
2: Well, where we excel is really looking at how we can help the Chads of the world exceed and exceed their own expectations and find success. And so Eventbrite at the end of the day is a business enablement platform for event creators. And I think going through the process and telling these stories and unearthing more stories changed the course of the company, frankly. And so that was a huge value add.
0: And that was happening as you went through the S1 process.
2: I mean, it's been happening all along, but I think it really came to the forefront because we wanted to use... The journeys of these event creators to tell our own story, and that it wasn't just about Eventbrite, and that there was color. And the importance of the color was that not many people understood our market before we went public. We were telling this to a much broader audience of people who were going, Okay, so how are you different from Ticketmaster? Like, what's a-? so we needed a vehicle, and we decided that the event creators. And their journeys and their stories would be the vehicle. And in the course of that, we would help amplify their stories to the world. The third objective was to raise the proceeds that we needed, that we wanted to add to our balance sheet, not too little, not too much, and to add world-class investors to the conversation and to welcome them in. And I would give the team a lights out grade on all three. And I think because of that, because of that, intention and because of our execution of our IPO and these and these objectives, it was a really positive experience for us. So yes, it's expensive. Yes, it takes a lot of time. But if you have intention, and through our framework, we use objectives, but if you have a clear intention, it can be a very positive moment and momentum builder for the company. And so we come out of it a stronger company, which I don't know if a lot of people feel that way once we go once they go through a process. We also rang the bell on September 20th. So we had the benefit of getting through this through our IPO journey quickly and decisively and getting out before, you know, the wobbliness of the market. And so I feel very fortunate that we were able to do that, but it's you know, that's just a moment in time. It's like a celebration of the work that you did to raise the money and to become public. And now we are going to operate the business and we get, get to grow the business as a public company. And that's obviously where the where the real work is.
0: Do you feel the same hit on efficiency that you did in previous rounds?
2: No, and that's very interesting. So while there may be a tendency to say, wow, we raised all this money, let's go spend like drunken sailors, um, because I think that's innate. In humans, we have a structure, we have a, a model and a, a set of defining principles that, um, you know, allow us to really understand where our superpower is. And our superpower is in the leverage of our business model and creating a core business that generates free cash flow, taking that free cash flow and reinvesting it in areas that are on the path to returning or returning already and continuing to compound growth that's durable and sustainable. So in a down market, in uncertain times, Eventbrite is not impervious. Nobody's impervious to uh, macro conditions, but we're certainly a lot stronger than other companies in our space or even outside of our space.
0: So Freddie, now we've heard from Julia, uh, we've heard something similar also from Josh James earlier, who was talking about how it helped the company, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't a, a, a particularly successful experience. And I think our next guest is actually going to offer us an entirely different perspective, which is it could be an absolute shit
6: show. Here's Ben. Well, you know, so we got the thing public, and then you know we get out there. Um, and, you know, the world is getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, and it becomes, you know, over time it started to become clear that, you know, the loud cloud business, which was kind of a cloud computing business ahead of its time, sadly, uh, probably wasn't going to work. But, you know, we had calculated that we had we needed another $50 million dollars to basically get to cash flow positive, at which case at least like the business would be viable, um, and so we go out and and you know again like we couldn't raise money the regular way, we couldn't do a secondary even though we were public. So uh, the bankers came up with this thing or, or made us hip to this thing, which is a rare instrument called a PIPE, which stands for uh, private investment in a public equity. Uh, and so that means that even though you're a public company, you raise the money privately, which is weird. Um, so, but anyway, so we go out to do this pipe and we think we can do it. We think we can raise 50 million in a pipe and we're going to raise it on Tuesday. And on the Monday, I get a call from our largest customer, which is a co- company called Atriax, which was funded by Citigroup and Deutsche Bank. So we were sure they were fine. Um, foreign currency exchange. And they CEO called me up, said, we're bankrupt, and we're not going to pay you the $25 million we owe you. So now we're $75 million in the hole. Uh, and uh, and we had to announce that because we're a public company. Um, At least they called you. Yeah. Well, I wish they hadn't because I could then raise the money if I hadn't known. But once you know, like, then it becomes very illegal not to tell people. So I told people, and then the pipe went away. And so now we are $75 million in the hole, no way to raise it. Uh and you know, and it was very clear because even with the fifty million, it was optimistic that we would get to cash flow positive. And there was no you couldn't, you know, if you're an honest person, you couldn't talk yourself into you were gonna survive uh at that point. And so um, you know, I came up with this scheme to sell off the services business and keep the software and all these things. Um which uh, we did like amazingly. We sold the services business to EDS. We kept the software. We became (laughs) a a software company. The stock dropped, you know, it was $4 before the pipe, then $2 after the Atriax announcement. And then we did the transaction, it was 35 cents a share.
0: Um, So you've just lost 90 plus percent of your value.
6: Yeah, lost 90% of our value, but like I knew we could survive. And so I knew we weren't going to run out of cash. I knew I wasn't going to commit the one unforgivable sin. Uh, so I felt great about that. Like it was no problem for me.
0: You felt great about losing 90% of your value.
6: Well, I felt great about getting rid of the cash burn. That was the thing that was going to kill us for sure. Like, you know, like the stock price is a reflection of what people think you're worth. You know, people are not, are often wrong about that. Um, and so like, you just have to be comfortable with that fact. I don't know what happened, but like at least now we can succeed. So that was, that was And then, then you ultimately
1: sold the company for 40 times
0: yeah. that
1: value.
6: Yes.
0: There's, there's another kind of psychological component to all of this, Freddie, which is that suddenly your share price, which is public to everybody, is a reflection of what people think of you. It's something that people probably don't, spend enough time thinking about and perhaps readying themselves for the fact that everybody up and down the organization now has an immediate barometer for how people in the world feel about the company. Whereas before when it was private, nobody knew really. You're going to be
1: better off yourself and your company will if you can really have that long-term approach and not get jacked up and down by the daily volatility of the markets. I mean, you know, uh, there could be conflicts between nations, or there could be GDP data came out, or all sorts of stuff that has nothing to do with you, and then all of a sudden your stock's up or down. And so I think it's uh, it's fraught with peril to talk about stock and talk about stock price and and answer questions about stock price. And I, I you know I do think it's it's a shame that some people take advantage of the opportunity to talk about what a great job they're doing when the stock's going up, and it's a shame just because. Then, when the stock's going down, people are like, Well, talk to me about it now. <laughs> yeah,
0: talk to me about the <laughs> shitty job right, yeah, you're doing.
1: Exactly. I want to hear what a bad job you're doing. And it's like, No, I'm not doing it bad. I don't want to talk about it. It's like, Well, you want to talk, you know, you want to take it, you want to take, you want to take credit for it when it was up and to the right. Take credit for it now. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, And the
0: way out
1: of that? It's just not, ta- we, we don't talk about it. at Okta. We don't talk about stock price. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The only two days that stock price matters is the day you buy and the day you sell. Every other day, it doesn't matter. So if you can have that mature approach, you know, I give you full credit. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but I aspire to be perfect
0: at it. Our next guest took his company public in 2012. Anil Bushery is the CEO of Workday. Let's hear him describe what it was like. Let's talk about the IPO itself and what that meant to you that particular day. What was it
3: like? Where were you? What did you, uh, you have for breakfast? Was, was it
0: a thing or was it a
1: process? Or uh, it was it was Just
3: just like a- so you know, you've been through it. Two weeks on the road. You're kind of worn out by the end. Oh, yeah. Uh, are you nervous about what's going to happen or are you pretty sure it's going to go well? You're always nervous. You're always nervous. I was thinking about that I couldn't go to sleep the night before. I knew I was going to go on, uh, on, on a CNBC with Kramer, who I, I love, Kramer. And I kept on playing in my head I think the stocks gonna go up because I know the demand's high but if it goes down what am I going to say because <laughs> you're gonna be live, live uh, right live like, with Kramer wallets you know how's, like, how's, how's it how's life your stock's down 10% like what what is my and I stayed up all night trying to figure out what I was going to say fortunately the stock went up 20 dollars on the first trade right and it was a much easier question to answer right we had invited a whole bunch of our employees through a lottery and so there were 40 employees that were, were watching us on on TV and ring the bell and it was super fun. Honestly, the biggest sense of relief I had, the biggest feeling I had was just a sense of relief. Now 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 moving on to the next part. Mm-hmm. And that was that was 2 weeks of hard travel. And you know what it's like, right? You you give the same presentation 47 times, oh, yeah. right? I think we ended, I think that was it. I think we gave it 47 times and you try to be fresh when you do it. Yeah.
0: And are all the questions the same?
3: No. They're no. different all over yeah. the place. Uh, they're not there's 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 probably 80% they're thematic though. Thematic. Yeah. Uh and, uh, and then there's some, the, the more people know about the space, the, the better questions they ask.
1: right For for a company like you doing something so core to businesses and international, there must have been a lot of like halo effect of the IPO that helped with the business. It absolutely helped. Just marketing, absolutely just awareness, helped. just like I can go check their financials, all those kinds of things.
3: There's actually a set of companies that would not that would not be customers for a private company. Mm-hmm. They had to know that we were there for the long run, right? This is, you make a decision for an HR and finance system, you're going to live with that decision for 7 to 10 years. You want the company to be around for a long time. Right. And, and once we went public, it was a stamp of approval that this company is going to be around for yep. a long time. And what we what we, we didn't try to get to profitability really quickly, but we had a clear path and we hit yep. those goals. And, and that took away the, some of the, the risk factors that, that people felt. This might be a naive question, but
0: does it really give you, give the 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 enterprise companies that sense of security because public companies can tank, you know, versus a private company?
3: It, what it, what I think it gives customers is, is uh, transparency. They can see all the numbers and they can compare to the other vendors that they do business with. I don't think it matters for a consumer-oriented company to be public. Consumers don't really look at that stuff, but... For a CIO or a CEO betting their business on a, on a new cloud platform, it matters a lot.
0: Now, notice we haven't had anybody on the show who ipo would and then just face-planted. But there are examples, I imagine, certainly from the first dot-com bust in the early 2000s. Yeah, there's plenty of them. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of graveyard. Yeah. There's a, there's a graveyard sock filled puppets. with those sock puppets. <laughs> that, was, that was pets.com. This doesn't
1: always work. Yeah, Totally. There's plenty of arguments to stay private. You are not constrained to the quarterly cadence, so you can actually make investments for three, six, nine, twelve months, or four years down the road, and no one's going to hold you to it. Uh, there's an opportunity to do things outside of the public eye. So if you want to do buy things, you want to merge companies, you want to grow in certain ways. Number three, you can try out all sorts of strategies, and if they don't work, it's okay. You're not going to get hammered for them nine, you know, ninety days later, ninety days later. On this quarterly cadence. So there's a lot of reasons to do that. Um, on the flip side, though, you know, there's a ton of reasons to go public. We've talked about them on this show. So I don't think it's a one size fits all. Um, and in fact, you've seen uh, over the last few years, more and more companies are staying private later and later for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, their businesses might be just great when they go public in the end. Regardless of what happens, the IPO is an is a impactful event for a company, for a leader, for a team, for the employee base, for the customers, for the investors. There's just so many dynamics to it.
0: This has been Zero to IPO, a podcast about starting a company and taking it all the way to IPO. And I'd like to give a special thanks to our guests today, Josh James, Fred Luddy, Julia Hartz, Ben Horowitz, and Anil Bushery and also to the MIT Trust Center for Entrepreneurship for their support of the show, along with Okta. If you like what you've heard and want to know more, check
1: out exclusive in-depth stories from each episode on fastcompany.com. And to hear the next step in taking a company from zero to IPO, make sure to subscribe and give us a good rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: I'm Joshua Davis. I'm Frederick Harris, And this is Zero to IPO. Thanks for listening and get ready for our next and final episode of Season 1 of Season 1.
3: We wanted to build a special company where employees were happy and customers were happy and we had fun and we innovated. And the IPO was just a step along the way. It's a rite of passage for a company,
6: but it's not the end.